You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I rolled over this morning, Kirk, and I reached my hand out. And there was this empty space in the bed. Okay. There was no more Kirk DeWint in my life. Oh, I didn't know you were going there, but... mm. After one magical weekend, you vanished. Thank you for cleaning the ketchup off my my face at dinner, though. That was was sweet of you. You're very welcome. Yeah, we're 24 hours removed. It was a nice little reunion, wasn't it, Bracken? It was, but I'm carrying all the... All the baggage of that weekend now. Baggage, uh, aftermath, Dom's baggage. I'm hobbled. Yeah, how are you feeling? I feel like I ran a a mountain half marathon. Maybe mountain marathon. Well, if it makes you feel better, uh, my legs are real beat up as well. So it wasn't just you. But the strange part is that it's calf and soleus way more than quad. Hips are there, glutes are there, but it's below my knees. I wonder why. I don't know. Mine's all above. I don't. Yeah, knees down, no problem. I should, we should tell the folks what we did. We did this workout, one of our favorites. Um, have we put this one on the running public training plan yet? Shoots and ladders. Yeah. I don't think it's. I don't believe we. I don't believe we've assigned it yet. But it's coming though. With Utah coming up, it's coming. Yeah, it is, and. It's one of my most dreaded and favorite workouts. It's a workout. I'm not going to steal it like it's mine. You assigned this to me when we had coached together years ago. And uh, I never really realized the power of that workout until I did it. And I never realized that that's probably the most non-OCR compromised run workout that I feel like I do. And so we decided if you're going to suffer, you might as well suffer in company. So we did that. And since you're the the creator, in a sense, what, what, what is it? Shoots and ladders is simply running hard up and hard down multiple times. Yes. The, the, the classic one is hard up, hard down, hard up, rest. Hard down, hard up, hard down, rest. Uh, but I mean, you can do any version of it you want. The, the premise of the workout is to get good running up after you've smashed your legs going down and to get good running down after you've smashed your legs going up. So everything's done on... You could call it, it is a compromised workout in a sense in that you're never using your real stride or your yeah. like your fresh stride after the first rep because you're so beat because you run the ups at race effort or slightly harder at times and you run the mm-hmm. downs way harder than race effort to really smash yourself. Yep. So we, uh, and that's the biggest thing that, you know, in these mountain races, the first climb, if you're fit, the first climb, although difficult, you're within yourself and you might have choices to make, but you make those first couple of descents and then you, your climbing legs are suddenly gone and you're a complete pile. And so this workout is to design to negate that. And I haven't done this one this season yet. You haven't done this because you run like two miles a week. So <laughs> so we hit it. So we hit, it was about uh, like 200, what I say, 265 foot climb, 261. So up, down, loop it back around, up, and then back down. And our reps took anywhere it was give or take 12 minutes. So these were long pushes. 
Yeah. Hard reps, you'd gain 500 feet per rep since you climbed twice. You lose 500 feet per rep and you felt every single one of those. Mm, my watch told me that uh, one of the descents, my, my quarter mile split was 57 seconds. So we were descending roughly at 350 pace or under. And that video I posted, you could not tell the grade. No, that was 14 and a half, you said? That grade? Or is it 16 and a half? The sign said 14 and a half as a warning to trucks, but who knows <laughs> yeah. how accurate that is, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it was the kind that once you got started, you had to continue because you couldn't you couldn't break. And, and, and that was what got me. It was the, we climbed up a ski hill and we took the service road down the back, but it's a paved service road. Mm -hmm. And so it was running downhill at faster than four minute pace on asphalt. And then we turned yeah. and climbed back up the ski hill and descended back down the ski hill. But the first descent was on pavement. And that really rocked my world. Yeah, it was the pavement descending, just that hard impact. But it was good, man. Breathing heavy, Ooh. getting a little grunting in, took a little video. We did. Speaking of breathing heavy, I was breathing two notches above Kirk the entire time. Not the entire time, on the first two reps. On the first two. Yeah, yeah. We were running up the hill on the second climb of the first rep. And I realized I'm in that like 5K, 10K breathing where I'm like wheeze breathing. And uh, I look over and Kirk's got a silencer on. <laughs> he can't, he can't tell he's breathing yet. And I thought, yep, this is, this is training effect right here. That changed, that changed. And I was so inspired by this weekend training that I decided to just jump into a 50K in a week and a half from now. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go rip it up. I said, what is this workout going to set me up to do? And I said, ah, why not run on the Superior Hiking Trail, one of the most prestigious trails in the Midwest, run a 50K. So now I'm running one of those next Friday. So let's hope these legs freshen up. I'm such a proponent of jumping into races when you're when you're passionate. Yeah. The juices are flowing, you sign up for something, you roll with it. More than anything, it's on a Friday. It gives me an excuse to take a day off of work back. And so I was like, <laughs> bring it on. You know what? Whatever gets you there. Yeah. So we got, we got over two hours on feet. Yep. I got 14 miles. You got... What, 16? Uh, 15 something, maybe, yeah. Yeah, so we stayed together for the first two reps, and then I was uh, I was toast. I was race effort to get through that second rep, like kicking to the finish. We, we finished the rep. He started his three-minute jog recovery, and I collapsed down onto my knees and gasped to try to bring my world back into That's dramatic. from the shadow realm. There was no there was no knee falling out. Hands around my knees. I was bent over, gasping, dizzy. So then he continued his next two reps and picked up the pace and I stayed aerobic for the next <laughs> rep and then ran flat after that because my legs were trash. So he got an extra two miles. But yeah, we, we got a long day on feet. Yeah, we did. It was good. I was actually really impressed. We'll move on from this, but I was impressed with how well you held up, knowing how low your mileage was. I was more impressed. I mean, your, our hard efforts were actually, in hindsight, once I went to push harder on my own after you had stopped, I didn't pick up that much time. So obviously we were running pretty respectably when we were running together, but then I was more impressed with unsmoked legs. You still put another hour on feet afterwards on a body who hasn't done that in like four months, let's say. And so I thought that was like a very good testament to your durability. If you want to hop back into things and can stay healthy because any human being would have cramped up, locked up, probably have been like, can I get to the car as fast as possible? And you were cool. Well, I had the external appearance of maybe being all right. Internal, I was held together with with spit and chewing gum <laughs> and duct tape. 
<laughs> that sounds wow, good. I like Jerry rig everything in my life. So that seems like a good. No, I was happy with my body. It held up and all my pain afterwards is muscular soreness. Yeah. Knees held up to it. Yeah. Mine too. Both 40% of my meniscuses remaining held up that, to it. Is that all, all that's left? In each one, I'm between 40 and 50 remaining. Oh man. You're just a bionic. You really are a patch job, man. There might be some bubble gum in there. Probably. Who knows what they left in there? Keeping things together. But we had an epiphany. Not an yeah, epiphany. We, we had a, what do you call it when you have an epiphany about something you already know? You've been reminded. <laughs> a reminder. I had a strong reminder of something that hasn't been on my mind for a long time. And mm-hmm. we wanted to share it with everyone today. Yeah, I think it came to light really well when we were working together for you. And actually, honestly, for me as well um, in the back half of that workout. So... You should, you should tell them because we chatted about this. What we ran together for this for about an hour. And then when it got done and you were like, I overextended myself too early because the plan was to do four reps and Bracken did too. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was the best decision you could have made. And it wasn't because you pushed out as we say, it was because, well, you tell them. Yeah. I, I sold out to get through two reps halfway through that second one. I told Kirk, this is racing at this point. Because I realized I can't make four good reps. So I'm going to have two awesome reps. And then my world's going to crumble. And throughout throughout the endurance history, there's been two schools of thought on how to approach workouts. The first is to match the correct pace in order to hit the duration that is intended. So if you're going to get together and run 10 by 1,000 as a group, everyone hits their, whatever pace they can do to hit 10 reps of a thousand meters and hopefully have no drop off. You finish thinking I have one in the tank. And then the other school of thought is you shoot for the stars and you run as many reps with the best people, the people that you intend to be your competition sometime in the future. And when you blow, you blow and you're done. You might make it two reps. You might make it four reps. And next time you're going to make it a rep farther and a rep farther. And they're very different schools of thought. And there's definitely a place for both. But on this podcast, we have really stressed the stay within yourself, train according to what your body says, heart rate or pace wise, Mm -hmm. you're capable of right here in this day. But there are some times and places to just swing it really hard and accept the consequences. To swing it harder than you know you actually can sustain. Yeah. And choose death in a sense early. Yes. And you know... And then we spent the rest of our run talking about the, I mean, we really did nerd out on our cool, on our cool down in quotes. We talked about the Kenyan runner philosophy mm-hmm. and how they approach training and racing at times. Are they methodical a lot? Yes. But we also use the reference, how many Kenyans or Africans will call them? Do you see dropout of marathons who are very capable? And why do they do that? They do that because they are either breaking through and running 204 because 207 doesn't cut it anymore or they are going to go down in flames trying. And what do they do? They go out at 204 pace and they hold on and they get 18 miles in and they realize it's not happening today and they're mitigating their loss so they can get back to training later that week because that's all that matters is getting better, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not explaining that perfectly, but you get my point. Down no, in flames. Exactly. And I, and I went back after our workout and that night laying in bed, started rereading some of the old files I have saved. And one of them, again, is from Renato Canova. He's that famed Italian coach who works in Kenya now. And he talks about how there is the the African mentality and there's the Western mentality of how you approach workouts. And the Western mentality is I need to run the the correct pace to make it through my distance. And the African mentality is I need to run 
the correct pace to win. Yeah. And that there is a huge, a huge difference between those two where, so you think about that 10 by thousand example in the U S if you gather for, let's say track Tuesday somewhere, which is very popular among running groups, Mm -hmm. they would say what I've said on many workouts to athletes throughout the years, which is, all right, we have 10 reps today. You want to finish thinking I could have done 11. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want a big drop off in pace. If you think you can currently right now run 40 minutes for a 10 K, then we're going to start out at right at 40 minute pace and try to hold that the entire time. And everyone's going to feel finish feeling within themselves and you had a good positive workout and you're going to roll on to the next workout and chain big workouts together and chain them and have these uninterrupted blocks of training. And you're going to reach your goal eventually. Mm-hmm. And the Kenyans are going to get together for their run and the world record holders are up front and everyone groups up behind them and they hang on as long as possible. They say, I'm going to run a world record pace today and they mm-hmm. might make it two reps or four or six. And when they drop off, and anyone who goes over into Africa to, to go to Ethiopia or Kenya to these training camps, they'll be riding along in a car. There's cars following these people and mm-hmm. coaching and recording. And someone will drop off and they'll be jogging back, smiling. Someone will say, "What? Well, what's you just DNF'd your workout. Why are you smiling? He said, I made it four reps with the best in the world today. And what happens when they fall off pace, by the way? You're, you're, get, you're basically saying it, but when they fall off pace, the workout stops. Yeah, they don't hang on and and positive split and run shittier and shittier reps. When it's done, it's done, right? It's done, it's done. And they might go get an extended long run after. They might say, "I made it four reps. I'm gonna go get another 80 minutes on the trails." But that's it. They, their workout was make it as far as I can. And a Western coach would say, "Well, that's just not that smart because you're not training to the physiological effects of what you we want to accomplish today." And the African athlete would say, "I'm training to the physiological effects of what I have to endure on race day." Mm-hmm. And so then you see that, like you said, in marathons, when we have these world marathon majors go out, there's a pack of 15 Africans up front with maybe a white man or a woman or two in there. Mm-hmm. And maybe 12 of those Africans blow up. And the ones that don't run something outrageous where the Western athletes come up and they run their splits that they've trained to run. And they're not guaranteed of not blowing up, but they're guaranteed of a solid race. But it's tough to break through to something crazy if you're not running a little bit crazy and it just highlights the difference. And we're not saying that that's better, but we always talk about the safe progressive role of training, but mm-hmm. there is a time where you, it, it behooves you to swing for the stars a little bit. I was watching uh, I don't know if you watched shoot the- for the stars. You don't swing for the stars. You could do both really shoot for the stars. A little you got bit. long arms. You could swing for the stars. I guess. But uh, I, you, you know, the uh, YouTube channel, total running productions, they do a yeah. really nice job. And what is it? Kella Benisa, how do you say his first name? Bekele? Kenanisa. Ken, Kenanisa, whatever it is. Kenanisa Bekele. When he ran, um, God, he's two seconds behind. Now I'm forgetting what the heck. The marathon. Kip marathon, Kip record. marathon record. in in 201, I don't know, 31 or something ridiculous. And Bekele, they started doubting Bekele's worth. They started doubting Bekele's effort. He had a few races that didn't go well. And in like his two marathons prior to running like 201-31 or whatever it was, two seconds behind Kipchoge's world record, which still stands. Kipchoge's world record of 159.50 is not a world record due to the circumstance. Bekele had DNF'd his two marathons before that. Two, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. it's all because it might have maybe he DNF'd like a half or a 10K and then a marathon and everybody counted him out. But it's because he wasn't happy with where he was at. He ran the race to the point in which he needed to feel it and know what it felt like and stay in it and realize it was too much for his body on that day as he'd come back from injury. And he dropped. 
in his first full marathon back, he comes back and comes two seconds within the, the world record. It's just like a really impressive story. And I'm not glorifying the dropping out of races. And I don't, I don't really condone that mindset because it leads the, the mind open to dropping again. Mm-hmm. But that mentality is there's something to it. And the best in the world, practice. And I was thinking about this as you, as you brought up, we should talk about this topic today. And I was thinking, I want to ask you this question and then I'll answer it. But when you think in your life, in your fitness life of running, Bracken, when did you make the biggest jumps in the shortest amount of time? You know where I'm going to go with this. But. Yeah. The biggest breakthrough races I've ever had are when I raced. I mean, I, I, I told that story. I used to write splits down on rubber bands and wear them on my wrist and obsess over them. But the biggest leap I ever made in any track race was going from indoor to outdoor my senior year. That time my coach told me that their B-level runner was anchoring the distance medley relay. So I was going to run a mile against their second best guy who had a PR of 440, but their best guy had a PR of like 426. So he said, it's cold. We didn't get a lot of warm up. Just sit on his shoulder and I'll kick him. We'll get the win. We'll go home. He knew full well that was their stud. I'd never seen the guy before. This was pre-Instagram days, Facebook. So I didn't know what he looked like. And it was their stud. But I thought he was the second place. And I ran on him. And it hurt so bad. But I just like ego-wise, I thought, there's no way I let this second-rate guy beat me. I don't care how bad I'm hurting. And I externalized the pain. It was like, it's because it's cold. It's because I didn't warm up well enough. It's because I'm not expecting a hard race. So it's just hit me harder. And I kicked him and I ran 429. Mm-hmm. My previous PR was 441. I got a little bit of the chills there when you tell me that. But, but it's that day. You know, my biggest jump in cross country was in college when I just decided to go out and try to make the uh, the conference top seven squad so I could travel. Mm-hmm. And I just sold out for that. And my biggest 800 meter leap ever came at the Drake Relays. You don't care about splits in a relay. You don't care about how you get out. You take the stick, you get on someone's shoulder, and you either hang on or you pass them. And I dropped three seconds in the 800 that day, which is a lifetime. I ran 152.4 split in an 800 that day, not knowing a thing what I was doing other than trying to get the stick to my teammate as fast as possible. And those are the days where I didn't run according to a system or a pace. I just sold out. Breakthroughs don't typically happen through calculation. They almost never do. Yeah. The breakthrough performance that turns heads and be like, I didn't know that was in me. That's typically not like a watch checker every 200 meters being like, well, I'm at 34.5 and I'm going to be 34.5 again. No, you're at 34.5 and you don't look at your watch again. And suddenly you're selling out in a race and you come through an average 32s, you break through. For me, I mean, hands down, I improved in the quickest duration in college. I had 10 All-Americans on my team. I went from a high school where I was the number one runner from a sophomore on. I was chased. I led everything. The Green Bay area where I grew up wasn't super dense. I didn't lose a race my senior year until sectionals. And I lost that one by one one hundredth of a second. I was a big fish in a small pond. And I was only as good as I needed to get because I'd sit and kick or I'd win, you know. And I ran 431 my senior year in the mile, which is nothing really that impressive in high school. It's enough to show up and get your, you know, stick your neck in a race, but not enough to get any real attention. I go to college and I sell out every workout. There's no such thing as pacing. There's no such thing. It is hanging on for dear life when you show up as a freshman to practice in college. You know how that works. It was coaches. You coach tells you the workout. You go do it. You get no other guidance other than like, you know, this is the workout we're doing. At least we didn't in the day. And I went from a 431 miler my senior year of high school to a four, I believe I ran equivalent like 411, 412 my freshman year of, of college. And that was indoors. That was roughly nine months later. Now that might not seem like a lot to you guys taking off 
let's call it give or take 20 seconds off a mile. That is the difference between winning a race and taking 30th in college. It's, it's an eternity, 20 seconds at that pace, at that speed. And sure, I got a year older, nine months older, but it had everything to do with the fact that every day I stuck my neck out there. And did I die? Oh yeah, especially in cross country workouts, did I die? But I don't think I would have come near to those breakthroughs. All I went from was running front of the pack on my team, winning races, had no other knowing than leading the way. And pretty soon I'm small fish, big pond. And what do you do? You grow, you adapt. And so that really resonated with me when you said that this weekend, when we were cooling down, I was thinking about it and I was like, shit, he's right. He is right. We got to do that once in a while. And that's my personal example there. Yeah. And this is the message for the dreamers, for those people who have aspirations of greatness. Now, greatness is really only defined by what is great to you. For people who want long sustained fitness, this may not be the most topical, you know, most in the moment needed article for us to to talk about. But for people who are looking to excel, to make it to the next level, there are some leaps of, of faith that have to accompany a leap in fitness. And what let's let's look at in let's say the OCR world, the Ryan Kempson. Ryan Kempson had two paths to get to the top. The first was to keep running his VO2 max calculated threshold pace and 5k pace and start out his races at that. The second was to do what he did, which is go out and race to the ability that he believed he had in him one day. And in the beginning, he'd make it a mile and then a mile and a half and then two. And then one day down in in Miami in January, the next year, he put me into the ground for the whole race. I kept waiting for him to come back and he never did. He had finally fulfilled that 5K distance. And the Mm -hmm. year after that, he was holding that for a 10K. And then this past year, he just took, what, top seven in the world? I think he was... I think he was actually ninth. Did he fade a ninth? Right. Yeah, eighth maybe because but bump, yeah, regardless, eighth place in the world in a two-plus-hour race. So at altitude, course of, which he doesn't live, it makes it more impressive. At altitude, so yeah. he went from burning out in the first mile of a five k to holding on for two-plus hours of racing at altitude, because he from the beginning said, "I'm going to run the pace of my goal race, not of the pace I can hold right now." Mm-hmm. And it takes a unique mindset. We talk back to that African mindset. What did we say about how they approach workouts and races on the trails? They're not afraid of it. They don't worry about blowing up because there's no stigma in that culture to DNFing. Ours, mm-hmm. Our stigma is you gave up. Theirs is I couldn't hit my goal. So right. I went back to training. And I'm not glorifying DNFing because it really depends on why you DNF. If you DNF because it's too hard, yeah, you, you have a right to feel shameful. If you DNF because in your culture, all that matters is reaching a goal and your goal is not in reach, it's understandable, but they don't care. They're not afraid of DNFing, so they're not afraid of going out too hard. When you're not afraid of going out too hard on the days that that pace sticks, you do something crazy and you set a record. I think the most shameful way to DNF is because of a strained calf muscle, but that's just my personal <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Torn, Kirk. That, to- Torn. That's just embarrassing in my opinion, but we're... There's going to be some epic fails along the way. You know, we're fluffing this up a little bit, saying like, you know, shoot for the stars, land on the moon. If you can dream it, you can do it, do to do. We are saying that, but like none of this comes with with perfection along the way. Like there's this is growing pain sort of stuff. But, you know, I I tell a lot of my athletes, I say, they always want to know, how do I pace this workout? And I say, I don't know you that well as an athlete. I don't know what the hell to tell you yet. 
it always comes from new athletes in particular. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you yet because we don't know each other well enough. And I say, well, and this was somebody new. I say, what I would like is you to run the intervals and let's say we have eight of whatever's. And I would like you to try to accumulate the least amount of time possible for these eight reps. Meaning if you go too hard and fade home, you're going to bleed time. If you go out too easy and you pound home, you might've left time on the table early. But what I would like is at the end of this whole thing, we accumulate the least amount of time total. And then I would say you've run a fairly consistent and well, uh, you know, thought out workout um, or executed workout. And sometimes I think that is the right prescription. And that's a lot of times how I look at my workouts. But if you saved yourself and I said, Bracken, we got four reps of shoots and ladders. Let's be as consistent and accumulate the least amount of time as possible. What would have ha- what would have happened? What would have happened is we I'd have to dog the first two reps so much that I wouldn't have been getting a whole lot of stimulus from it because the downhill pounding was taking so much out of me that I wouldn't have been able to climb unless I was being dainty on the downhills. And then I'm practicing a skill that I don't want to get good at. Yes. And I inquired about your heart rate monitor and I said, Bracken, you're not wearing your heart rate monitor today, Bracken. <laughs> and you said, I don't want to know, <laughs> no. basically. Yeah. I didn't want to look down and have it affect the way I ran that interval. Mm-hmm. I said, my goal, this is my big workout of the week. This is my race. I'm here just to, to do it. And I didn't want to look down and see I'm above my lactate threshold. I can't sustain this and let it impact how I attack the next rep. Mm-hmm. I wanted to attack the reps until I could no longer attack the reps. And then I was going to finish up the day aerobically. And you did attack the reps because when we were descending, you were leaning into it where I was, I would say, conserving slightly. And I had to surge to stay with you. And I was like, this guy's not this guy's not messing around. I thought this was a race. And I was the final descent. I would have to put out, as I call it, in order to catch and pass him. Like we were in race mode. And now what? now that you're sitting here two days later... Was it the right call? hundred percent. Yeah. Because what, what do I get out of a workout? I got 24 minutes of really, really intense work. 24 minutes and 24 minutes and 38 seconds. Yes. Of, of national caliber in our realm of work. Yeah. At least on the descents, the ups left something to be desired, but (laughs) what if I would have done 48 minutes of B minus level work now systemically that would have been really useful, mm-hmm. except that uphill, I couldn't run at threshold because my legs would burn out. So over the course of 48 minutes, I would have had to stay below threshold. And then I would have had to hold, have held back on the descent. So I, I wouldn't have really checked any boxes in that workout other than time on feet. Instead, I got a race effort and then I got a long run all in one. And I know that a week or two from now, I'm going to be better because of it. And it all came to light for me with going and, you know, just racing again. We talk about like, you know, racing yourself into shape, let's call Mm -hmm. it. A lot of us did that back in college and high school, especially those who didn't train in the off season. I believe you were one of those, weren't you? Yes. Yes. But what does it do? It works. And if you, if you lay yourself, if you layer in actual training up into your racing and purposeful training between your racing, those race efforts aren't calculated. You're not staying in your threshold. You're not, you're not tiptoeing along your you know, line of what's possible and what's not. You're just going for it. And then suddenly two weeks later, you're like, huh, my intervals are going better than ever. And I've, I've broken through. And I think those efforts have to be calculated. Like you, we're not talking about going shooting for the stars every single workout. That's, that's going to leave you probably just completely burnt and frustrated, but choosing to once in a while, even if it's a every other week thing or every three weeks, we are like, 
listen, I'm a five minute miler right now. And I've been running my workouts at 75 second quarter pace. Today, I'm going to 70. And if I only hang on for four reps and so be it, I'm going to get comfortable, feeling uncomfortable at that pace. And that's really like, if we're going to simplify it, that's what we're talking about. We always talk about doing workouts at your current 5k pace or do workouts at 10k pace. And that's all very purposeful. We're not misleading you, but it's just a little eye opening to think, well, how am I going to break through if I'm only running the paces I know? Yeah. And, and there's some power to not being afraid of a pace or an effort or a, or a hurt level. And then there's power to the more you do that, the better you become at it. You just become, you may not physiologically like launch yourself up in terms of VO2 max or your lactate threshold any quicker than the other way, but you become more efficient at those paces. If you're a five minute miler trying to run 459, running at 75 seconds, you get efficient at 75 second work. Running at 70 second work, you eventually stop fighting for speed at 70 and you start relaxing into speed at 70. Even if that doesn't change your metrics, it changes how relaxed you can handle your speed, which does mm -hmm. change your racing metric. And how many of us are so absolutely dialed in that we know what would happen in a race on this very day if we just laid it all bare? A lot of times I say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in 16 minute 5K shape right now. Well, am I? Do I really, mm -hmm. really know that? Is running 16 minute pace intervals on this day maxing out my capability or am I leaving some on the table just because it's a guesstimation? So mm -hmm. I have a dividing line, Kirk, on workouts I get to blow it out versus workouts I have to oh, okay. follow the prescription. Okay, I'm listening. And that is lactate threshold. Mm -hmm. If it is defined by physiological markers in your body, you do not benefit from exceeding it. If the goal on Saturday was we're going to run four by 12 minute at threshold, I don't get any better yep. because we're working on the ability to buffer a lactate, the ability to utilize it as fuel and lactate clearance. That only happens when you hit your markers. So on those days, there's no need to ever go crazy. So you stick to the plan and you finish with one rep in the tank. Those are the days for that. If I'm running faster than lactate threshold intentionally in the workout, I basically don't have a ceiling. Well, your ceiling is when your body- A self-imposed ceiling. Right. Because we have the ability, and it has been shown time and time again in history, that your body does follow your mind to some extent. Mm -hmm. And if you believe the wrong thing really, really intensely, it's the right thing. How many times are people's reality shaped by their perception of it? Constantly, yeah. always. Mm -hmm. And even if you're wrong, if you are resolute in your wrongness, you were right. That day in high school where I thought I was running 440 pace and it was just cold and I wasn't warmed up enough and that's why it hurt. And I was really running 429 pace. My body did what my mind told it to do because it, my mind was so sure it was right. And so it works the opposite way. If I had told myself that day, we're going to run 450 pace and it hurts like this, I wouldn't have been able to finish in. Mm -hmm. I would have lost to the same guy with because I had the wrong mindset. So we can self-impose a limit that holds you back and it's not like you're doing it intentionally. You just don't know better sometimes. And the only way to really find your limit, and this is not the coaching advice I give out in every scenario, but the only way to truly find out your limit is to blow up spectacularly. <laughs> what if you're the athlete who blows up spectacularly every workout? Because I have a few of those right now too. What are they doing? That's where those limits come into play. <laughs> it sure is. This it? is not an every workout type deal. For me, this is not an every week type deal. This is uh, two or three times a month, maybe I'm swinging like this. When do you decide? When do you decide? Like, when does it make sense? How do you know? When is it time? 
Well, when it's not, when it's faster than lactate threshold, I have permission to swing as hard as I want. Okay. I don't always take it, but you have permission to exceed. And it always happens when you train with better people faster than lactate. So if I'm having up there for a weekend with you, or I'm running with John DeWitt or running with someone who's just better than me, and we're running intervals, I am selling out to stay with them on those intervals. Cause I don't meet up with people for a threshold run because my threshold doesn't align with most of my friends. When I meet up with someone, it's for a swing that hammer hard type day. But what about like, let's say, can that be applied to, I have a six mile tempo run today. Tempo, remember we just tempo threshold uh, episode recently. Could you, could you theoretically, and even something like that be like, screw it. I can see my watch. I'm over threshold. I am working harder than I ever have on a six mile tempo run. And now I'm basically racing, but this is just a workout. Is there a place for that? Or are you talking more short, spicy, painful, faster than race pace type work? No, there are times for that as well. There, like John DeWitt will go out for a 10 or 12 mile run and I am above lactate threshold for the last 40 minutes straight. <laughs> All right. Just hanging on, racing at the end to stay with him as he cuts down 610, 605, 550, 540, 535, 520. By the end, mm -hmm. 520, I'm racing and he knows mm -hmm. it and I know it. He's out there getting a threshold run and I'm out there running a race. Yep. That's a fantastic fitness launch pad some days, but it comes down to what's the purpose of the run. When I run with John, I schedule it in as my A workout of the month. Yep. It is a, I blow out the tubes to do whatever it takes to finish <laughs> with him in that run. If I said, Hey John, I have a six mile lactate threshold run to do today. Well, I made a mistake right there. I shouldn't be calling John up to do that workout with me. I have to do mm -hmm. that by myself with my heart rate monitor or using my my breathing test because it doesn't it doesn't combine well with others. In a perfect world, we would have like a nice training group or a few friends we knew and we would we would go run with our friends that are clearly slower than us on our recovery days. Yep. Keep us in check. And then we'd have our faster than us friends in which we'd get together for every quality day. There wouldn't be a more beautiful thing in the world. We could probably set up that way. And I mean, people using people joining running groups, you don't all have the luxury. I train alone all the time. You train alone all the time. But I would actually say that might be the fastest way to just kind of throw yourself into the flames to find somebody faster than you. Even if, even if they're not training for a Spartan race or a trail race or whatever, a road race, whatever you're training for, and say, hey, you want to get together and run a couple times a week? And maybe if they're feeling, you know, generous, charitable, mm -hmm. they will go do that with you. Um, I don't know. I think that's very powerful. And you probably almost always see fitness breakthroughs afterwards. Yeah. The best way to progress and know you're going to get better is to run according to your current fitness and your current zones and just consistently hit workouts day in, day out, week in, week out. And the fastest way to break through is to shoot for the stars. And not everyone is out here to PR. <laughs> we titled this the running public. The running public in general aren't all trying to become breakthrough runners. Some just want to run with less pain. Some want to be able to make it farther on their long run. Some want to be able to enjoy their run more. Others want to do things as fast as humanly possible. And the more you want to have a breakthrough, the more you got to take leaps of faith in your pacing sometimes. But it means you don't take leaps of faith on easy days. You don't take it on recovery days and you don't take it on threshold days. You have to keep it as a special tool that you pull out of the shed from time to time. And every time you pull that tool out, you know, it's going to be an awesome time. You talked about it with your shoes. You have shoes. 
your Evo Speed Goats that you're only using when you're smashing big, hard mountain or trail days. So these shoes are only allowed to run fast and they don't come out of my closet unless that's the plan. Yeah, it's a special day when those come out. And I would argue that, oh gosh, I'm going to have to guess like 80% of our listeners do want to go fast. They do yeah. want to go better. They, so we're, we're talking to the majority. I have an athlete. I'm going to give you a shout out. I, I think you still listen to this podcast. I'm going to put a lot of pressure on you, Simon. I got, a, I got a client, Simon, who's going to, or an athlete, Simon, who's going to Austin this weekend. And he sent me his check-in. I do these weekly check-ins and he sent me his check-in and he gives me a summary and then he gives me his workout statistics. And in both of his workouts, I uh, prescribed some uh, OCR work on Tuesday and a little bit of a KDE modified situation on Saturday. Um, and his first two splits were astronomically faster and then he and then he backed off or blew up. And if I would have looked at those splits without explanation, I would have been like, "Ugh, you went out a little too hot. Obviously, you don't know your body that well yet. And it was probably a mistake. But in his summary of his week, it stated that, listen, I'm planning to break through. And whether it's at Austin or not, I need to know what it feels like to go out hard and then hang on. So I intentionally over rev my engine and ran 510 pace early, knowing that 540 pace was going to follow for the last half of the workout. And it was all on purpose. It hurt. It sucked. Um, but I did it with intent because our races go out fast. I want to be in the mix. And it was like that Ryan Kempson mindset. And he had done this on purpose. He purposefully blew up and hung on. And I just thought, would I have prescribed that? I don't know if I would have prescribed that. But he took it on his own, knowing what his races have gone like already this this year, saying, I can make that jump. So I'm going to prepare myself to feel what that feels like in a race, go out and do it. Now, Simon, Simon Diaz, you might have a few people looking at your results this week and now seeing if the strategy pays off. I think it will. So anyways, that was an example of an athlete just recognizing that and taking that by the balls. I really respected that. It's a beautiful thing. And we are on the highway this weekend. And Braden recognized that on our on our car, it says GT in the badging on the back above the bumper. And he said, what does that mean? I explained that a GT badge generally means the car's a little bit more tuned. It has a few, may, maybe it has extra horsepower or a tighter suspension, but it's made for going a little faster than just your normal car. Now, ours is a minivan, so it doesn't matter. It's a good looking minivan though, Bracken. Thank you. But what he started noticing is other cars on the road, because he's a detail guy, he said, that car is a GT. Does that mean we'd be the same in a race? I said, maybe, <laughs> maybe. And then you'd see another one. He said, oh, that said SRT. What does that mean? I said, well, that's the racing package. He said, oh, so that one could beat us in a race. And and it, what, what I explained to him is that on paper, yes, but it really comes down to the driver. You could put two GT cars next to him each other and the car the driver that can take the car to its max potential is the one that wins you think mario andretti could take your van and beat that gt i do i think you that do? if all you right, take someone right. who can max out the capabilities of the engine and the suspension and the steering and the handling and the cornering that's the car that wins it comes down to how do you drive it and sometimes you have to know the actual red line blow up of your vehicle to know how to push it through the paces. You have to know at which point you tip over on a turn in order to, to tow that line. If you're always knowing going too fast into a turn, you can flip your car or redlining too much, you can blow your engine. If that's your only guiding knowledge there, you're inherently not going to quite max it out. And workouts mm -hmm. like what Simon just did, he upgraded the person driving his vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that changes things on race day. So this is a 
This is a mental thing more than it's a physical thing. You're not going to unlock physical tools. You're going to unlock your ability to max out your machine by doing this type of day. Yeah. We should actually talk about that then. Um, uh, you know, there's a number of athletes who battle the mental side of things. Every week in my check-ins, I get a handful of athletes who say I mentally wasn't in it today or my legs felt okay, but I had a rough day and my body or my mind wasn't there. Or, duh, duh, duh. You hear that stuff all the time. So what do you, how do you, how do you know? How do you know if it's weakness in the mind versus body's physiological parameters going up in flames? You know, where do you, what do you, what do you do with that? Am I being weak and I can hang on to this uncomfortable pace for another 30 seconds? Or is that really it? How do we know? I think that across the board, very few people can actually find their limit by themselves. I mean, realistically, if you're, if you're not passing out or if you're not stumbling, you didn't quite, you gave up before your body did. I mean, watch the uh, last hundred meters of the women's NCAA cross country championships and you'll see 15 women who found them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying you should do that. Most people never, ever need to get there. But if you decided to slow down, if you said this is just too much to handle and you decided, then you decided. How do you know if you're deciding or if you're not deciding? If it's your body deciding or your mind, it's always your mind you're telling usually. Because deep down, you know that I made the decision. It wasn't made for me. So I believe that we can almost always get more out of our body than we do, but you can take that decision away in the first couple of reps accidentally. If you, yeah. if, if you go out and instead of running 70 seconds, trying to break your, you know, get better at five minute pace and you run 60 seconds, you're not going to have a say in it later. You're going to be so dead by rep three or four that you can't do it. But if you run 70, 71, 70, 71, and at some point you're like, this just hurts too bad. I can't do it. Then that's the decision that you made. Mm. If what do you, you think? if you're pushing as hard as you can and you just keep leaking time, then that's your body giving out. That's a good point. What do you think of the, uh, let's say in quotes, mentally weak athlete, an athlete who knows that they need to work their mental fortitude more than their physical, right? It's, it's the headspace. We all had college teammates who we knew is like in practice, they're Kings. And then in races, they blow up in it or just the ones who can't get there. Would you say like it would be better suited for them to go with this approach or worse suited where it's like, hey, let's run something that we know you can sustain no matter what and allow you to gain confidence? Or do you still think that athlete who believes to be prospectively mentally weak just goes out there and just flames up every single workout anyway? My, my opinion on this has changed over the years. And I'm asking, I'm asking impossible questions to answer, right? Yeah. But I think it's worth talking about. Keep in mind, these are all opinions we're stating today. Yeah, there's no fact. physiological markers. There's no science behind these. This is an opinion-based episode. Well, and and I'm you know we all have the athletes who drive themselves into the freaking dirt all the time, mm-hmm. and that's the athlete that's like, hey, we need you to stay at threshold today, or I actually want you to run three twenty for your thousand meter repeats. Do not go faster because it, we know you just can't control yourself, and you end up worse off for the wear. And then we have the other side of the coin. Yeah. The athletes who can't get there or stay there. Here's what I believe about confidence building workouts. I believe that unless they are miserable workouts, they are building false confidence. Now, that does not mean you need to be miserable all the time, but people, when they say, we're going to run a good sustainable workout here just to build confidence, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Across the board, when you see athletes who are surrounded by yes men, when they get punched squarely in the face, there's no one behind them to catch them. Because they've surrounded themselves with a group that supports them up. And when that those hands aren't there on competition day, they get this 
really confused, surprised look in their face. Like this isn't how this is supposed to go. And I believe that confidence boosting easy workouts, so to speak, those good manageable workouts are yes men. All of them? No, but if your purpose is to get yourself better at mentally handling pain in races by doing sustainable workouts to build confidence, I believe those are yes men. Okay. So again, I divide it into two categories. My yes men are my threshold work. It's okay to have people tell you, hey, you're great. Threshold is the day to feel really good. And that's why I like to keep, if I'm doing 80-20, I like over 50% of my 20 to be threshold-centered, threshold-centric work because I'm staying within myself. I'm not digging huge recovery debts. I can do a lot of volume without a lot of impact. And then I swing on these other days. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones I swing on. And those are the ones that give me confidence. Threshold are mechanical days. I'm tuning up the car. I'm increasing things on it. I'm, I'm playing around with gauges, but then I take it out on the track and I put it through its paces to test its limits on the few, but very pointed nasty days. And I believe that your confidence comes from surviving something you didn't think was survivable. Not from, I handled another moderate day. I handled another moderately hard day. That's not confidence boosting. That's just, that's just shoring up the house. That's just putting in structure in place. I like that. And I actually agree with that. The yes man uh, principle. I, I agree with that. I'm thinking more of, you know, we get, we'll coach a lot of not novice athletes, but they haven't been doing it as long as we have. They're a year or two into running. Now they want to get competitive and they're learning, but they have, don't have two, three decades of running experience. So why would they know the things that we've known? Because we've made all the mistakes, right? And so let's say a typical workout, and let's say I have, uh, you know, five, 10 athletes that are doing this right now. Let's say just for conversational sake, we prescribe 12 by 400 meters and their, their splits are this 80, 80, 82, 83, 87, 89, 90, 95, 98, 100, 102. And that's what their workout looks like. The wrong sort of, uh, exponential, uh, you know, slowing, um, you take that athlete. Do you say, okay, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to run 95 today and you're going to get through a workout for the first time feeling like you've You've done it. You didn't blow up. You chose. I think I'm more asking on that athlete's behalf, just like worthwhile chatting out yeah. because I think I think there's a lot of people listening to us that fall into that camp because I know I have a few under under my wing right now anyways. And in that instance, it's like, you know, it, it might be the one caveat to what we're saying, but it, it might not. I, I don't know. I wouldn't consider that a yes man scenario if that is your natural tendency. No, I wouldn't think so either. And again, I'm... We're talking about one style of workout that probably makes up 25% of my quality days. Right. The other right. 75% are I hit these splits no matter what. If you're feeling great, I don't care. Feel great running slower than you want to. And those people, the 75% is what drives their training. There's an athlete that I work with named Kent, and he is someone who is coming off of a lot of injury, Achilles stuff, foot stuff. And we just built up so slowly and deliberately. We're on like week 16 of nothing faster than threshold. Mm-hmm. So deliberate. We're not doing strides. We're not doing accelerations. We're not doing finishers. We spent like eight weeks power walking on the treadmill mm-hmm. because we just decided no matter what happens in 2021, you're going to get to the end of it healthy. Nope. And he ran a 10 mile road race two weekends ago. And he called me afterwards. He goes, I, I just don't understand where in the training we did anything that allowed me to do what I did today. 
He had a good day. He had a great day. And so there is some power to exactly what you're talking about. If we just hit a lot of consistent, moderate workouts, he was mm -hmm. able to go do something that he didn't think he should have been able to because he never swung the hammer hard. But that was one of those interesting situations where we knew he had the ability to do it. We just had to remove all the poison from his body first. Sure, sure. It was like we detoxed for 16 weeks and now go out there and do it. But it was the difference between going out in a group at 550 pace and running by himself at 620 or 640 and being like, well, this isn't terrible like it used to be. And then move it to 635. This isn't terrible. And then the confidence built throughout the race. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what ends up happening. The less you have big hammer swings in training, the more your confidence boost comes from starting out running what you used to run in a race and then being unbothered by it and being able to pick it up and pick it up. And then that race leads to your next race confidence. Yeah. Does that I make sense? That. Yeah, it does. I think the last thing, and like, how do you decide, like, how do you decide when, and how do you decide how hard, like, how do you decide if I'm looking to break through, if I'm looking to do uncalculated workouts where I know I am going to blow up, it's not, I'm, I'm deciding on a pace and I'm going to see how long I can hold it for, for example. Like, how do you decide on those things? And how do you decide, like, let's chat out, like, how often is too often and all of that? What do you what do you think there? I believe that overswings, it's too often if it's every week. I agree. In terms of a sustainable model. When you get closer to a race, you can probably overswing each week for a couple of weeks. A couple, three, four, maybe five weeks. And then after about five weeks, there's really no return on that investment if you're doing it regularly, like, every single week or twice a week. You just can't do that. But... I think you you take a look at your week. If you're doing some sort of polarized training, you've got two to three hard workouts a week, and it has to be less than half of your workouts, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing two workouts per week, the most it can happen is once every two weeks, where you just really go after something that is a goal pace, nothing near what you can do now. I think once every two weeks um, is is the right answer because... If you talk about like physiological recovery and adaptation, if you're on a seven day cycle, which most are not everybody, but, um, that it's still sitting in there in some capacity in your body. And I think giving it like more than 10 days, 14 or more, ideally would just allow that to all make sense. So one week, maybe you hit a threshold workout and you hit a very calculated, precise workout, the other quality day. And then the next week you can hit your threshold workout again. And then you can hit one that is just like, I am swinging for the fences. And you can get two of those in a month. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that actually is a ton. What if you race twice a month? Do you think that would improve your fitness in a well laid out plan? Of course it would. So I, I was going to say two weeks. Is and I think that's where races can play in there as well. Races would count, isn't it? Yeah. If you're a person who, like me, can only really do this with a training partner or in a race, you just jump in a race if you don't have training partners. Or I, <laughs> I drive up in Kirk thrashes me or I call John DeWitt up. Like I use my tools around me to get myself to that place. If I'm in the middle of a 10 mile cut down, a threshold is about what I get to. If I've got a faster friend ahead of me, I'm getting down to whatever they're getting down to. And so you you, you can use it. If you have a, tr a local track club that meets every Thursday, then every other Thursday you pencil in on your schedule as this is a hammer swing day. And then you, you reverse fill the rest of your schedule to support that with the alternating style of workouts. I think if we're going to like just summarize this quickly, really what it comes down to is if you are not working beyond yourself at some points in your training, then we believe that you are leaving improvement on the table that you are not accessing. Yeah. So 
if every workout is calculated, I, I do believe that you are putting a ceiling lower than it possibly could be. And that just hammering beyond measure is going to show you jumps in fitness. It is nearly, as long as you're recovering, of course, afterwards appropriately, I don't see how it doesn't. I don't see how you're not going to be better two weeks from now, Bracken, than you were on Saturday because of what you did. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is. It's it's at the end of the day, the driver determines the vehicle. Yep. And you have to know how hard you can push that vehicle. You have to. The only way we ever find our limits are touching them. You got to mm-hmm. find that limit from time to time if ultimate performance is your goal. Kirk showed me on this this last Saturday run that I had more on a down than I thought I did. That first rep hurt so bad going downhill that if I was alone, I would have babied the next one a little bit and I would have practiced a bad skill. Mm. But because he was there, I thought, let's just blow it out. You were faster on that second descent. Significantly faster on the second, even though I wanted to hold back. And what I did is not only did I practice a better skill, I kept myself from wiring a pattern in my brain, which is when it starts to get really uncomfortable descending, that's when you start breaking. Mm-hmm. Instead, I laid the pathway for that's when you lean into the descent and make sure you're getting off the ground quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that second descent's where the 57 second 400 must come from. Yeah, would be so. my guess. Would be my guess. Um, where do you want to go with this, Bracken? Where do you want to go from here? You feel good about it? I do. I just want to wrap up with reiterating our warning that the only way to make this style work this overswing of the hammer is to polarize your training. 100%. The only way that it ever takes hold is if you recover in between and afterwards and prior to this workout. These are these are put up on a pedestal and everything around it is kind of hushed down so you can do it. And they have to be balanced by sustainable, meticulous workouts to support them. Yeah. These are the ones you get a little nervous for. Yeah. They're the ones that, you know, going into it, there's a little bit of dread because what you're about to do is going to hurt quite a bit. And, and there's no place for this in like the, like the week of a race. This isn't the time like, I'm going to test my limits. You got a race four days later. Like, let's, let's leave that off the table. Okay, folks, this is in a block of training when it's not going to affect something coming up and keep that in mind too. Simon, good luck this weekend, my man. All right. We're going to be watching you. Also, just wanted to say thank you guys listening. Uh, I made a fairly straightforward call to action at the end of our last training Tuesday, asking for you to buy t-shirts and leave reviews. Well, t-shirts have been bought and reviews have been left. Uh, some really nice words were said on some of the reviews we got and it warms my heart, as you guys know, to see that some of you guys came through. You're not freeloaders after all. You guys are giving <laughs> back. It's great. It's great to see. And then I got a few less t-shirts sitting in my spare bedroom. So I just want to say thank you for putting up with my very fair forward rant end of last training Tuesday and you guys showed up. I'm putting the music there. All right, roll it.